Hey, this is Lori from Hike, where we explore, wander, and live. Today's episode, I go into the history of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, specifically how the Civilian Conservation Corps did a lot of the trail work, maintenance, and created some of the infrastructure of the park that exists today. I take you on a quick review of the Keppert Prong Trail, and I speak with Liz Skeen of the Hunter Library at Western Carolina University. Liz tells me about their digital archives and how having them opens a door to all of us to learn more about the history of Western North Carolina. So take a listen. So the year was 1932. We were in the middle of the Great Depression, and there was over 5 million young men who were looking for employment, but unsuccessful at that. Also at this time, we had had forests and land that had been devastated by logging. And, you know, so many of acres in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park was ravaged that it really was not sustainable. So in this case, what President Roosevelt wanted to do was create a Civilian Conservation Corps. So the year was 1932. The United States was in the middle of the Great Depression. There was over 5 million men out of work. And President Roosevelt wanted to do something to, one, um, get unemployed men back to work, and then also to work on the infrastructure and the forests and all the places that had been devastated by unregulated logging, um, poor practices, um, soil erosion, um, devastation that, that they saw happening. So Congress created the Civilian Conservation Corps um, on March 31st, 1933. And the Civilian Conservation Corps was created to work on forestry projects, that would prevent soil erosion, that would work on flood control, and, um, you know, things of that nature. So um, some interesting things about the Civilian Conservation Corps, uh, to be able to uh, take part in it, um, they had to be USA citizens, had to be male. Um, there was some physical fitness criteria. Um, they wanted um, men between the ages of 18 and 25, not married, of course unemployed, and the payment was $30 per month, but $25 of that had to go home. So they were sending money home to really take care of their families. And the volunteer had to um, live in the camp, and they had to work there for a minimum of six months. So in 1933, over 4,000 Civilian Conservation Corps laborers, or enrollees, uh, began reporting to work camps in the Great Smoky Mountains. So these were men that came from all over the country. Some were highly skilled. Some didn't have any skills at all. So in the course of of over nine years that they were there, so they worked on park infrastructure, the trails that we know and love today, um, reforesting uh, the slopes that had been, you know, cut clear from the logging and, and, you know, bad practices, um, through the you know years before that, they restored uh, historic structures 
and built hundreds of miles of roads, you know, along with that trails. So, you know, retaining walls, bridges, um, trout hatcheries, so they could replenish the streams with fish, um, campgrounds and facilities. So really everything that we love about the park and, and that we touch, you know, ties back to the Civilian Conservation Corps. When I hiked last summer, Keppert Prong Trail, I was definitely intrigued by the relics and the history of the old Conservation Corps camp that was there. So at Keppert Prong, there was over 200 members of Company 411 at a camp. And as part of that, they built six miles of road. They also... um, built two dozen fish rearing ponds. They created the water system that still serves Newfound Gap, constructed the parking areas, and they really were prominent in some of the road work that needed to occur to build out Newfound Gap Road. So also you'll find um, when I did some research that that specific company took part in a lot of the trail work. And part of that was the beautiful footbridges that were over the Kepper Prong as part of the Kepper Prong Trail. And you'll find that some of the original Civilian Conservation Corps stonework still exists today. In researching through the Western Carolina University Digital Archives, I found a pamphlet that talked about all the different companies for the Civilian Conservation Corps that were established in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. I'll read you an excerpt from the history of Company number 411. So company number 411, Civilian Conservation Corps, uh, is located 3,000 feet above sea level and is the second highest camp in the Great Smoky Mountains. The name of Keppert Prong was a gesture in the memory of Horace Keppert, who about 1900 moved into this area to begin a study of natural life in the eastern mountains. Keppert published his findings in various magazines, directing attention of the people of the country to the Smoky Mountains. Keppert's book, Our Southern Highlands, written later, is said to be one of the most accurate portrayals of life, speech, and mannerisms yet attempted in the Smokies. Boys in the camp have been active in athletics and have given much attention to boxing. Liberty parties to nearby towns also furnish recreation. Introduction of the educational program several months ago proved popular, and many of the boys of the company are using the classes to occupy their leisure time. You want to hear more about the Keppert Prong Civilian Conservation Corps, as well as many of the other companies that were located in the Smokies, uh, you can go to the WCU Digital Collection. And of course, there's a link in my podcast notes. And if you want to learn more about the Civilian Conservation Corps at the Great Smoky Mountains, including Keppert Prong Company 411, you can go out to the WCU Digital Collection, and I have a link in my podcast notes. So let's now talk about the relics and just the experience of being on a trail where you see some of the stonework, the beautiful masonry and stonework that was put together by the Civilian Conservation Corps and what stands uh, still today. I'm going to share a short little trail description that I did last year when I did the Keppert Prong hike. Keppert Prong Trail is a two-mile trail off of Newfound Gap. 
Kephart Prong takes you through the remains of a civilian conservation core camp. So you'll see um, relics like this um, water fountain, as well as a fireplace um, with some cooking space, and even some things such as um, an old railway. I would say one of my favorite parts of this trail were all the crossings. So you have footbridges, um, foot logs, um, different ways to cross the creek, and it's really pretty with all the moss-covered rocks and um, the beautiful greenery and foliage behind you. For the most part, the trail itself, while it gets um, rocky and rooty in parts, is pretty wide and a gradual incline. If you're looking for something close to the main road, but also that gives you a little bit of solace and solitude, it makes you feel like you're going off the beaten path, then definitely try this trail out. I think you'll like it. So I would say that definitely the experience of being on a trail with the history like Keppert Prong piqued my interest and made me want to learn more about the history of the people that helped build uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And in doing that, that's what led me to also look at the Western North Carolina Digital Archives. So I was Googling some things about Cuppert Prong Trail, came across the Digital Archives collection, and got in touch with Liz Skeen. And so I was able to sit down with Liz this week, and here is our discussion about the Digital Archives, the value they bring, and of the archives will really help future generations learn more about Western North Carolina and um, among that, you know, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. I'm here with Liz Skeen and at the Western um, Carolina University. So tell me a little bit about um, your role here at Hunter Library. Um, so my official title is Special and Digital Collections Librarian, um, and that means I'm responsible for uh, the special collections of the library, and that means kind of our rare and fragile materials. Um, so we collect things that document Western North Carolina kind of broadly, um, and so that includes letters, you know, Civil War documents, uh, photographs of the region, um, business records, family papers, that sort of thing. So if you had to estimate how many documents are in the collection? <laughs> like, how big is it? I guess to, to kind of uh, of it, it's probably pretty Tens big. of thousands. Really? So we, we measure things in linear feet okay. uh, in archives, which, you know, kind of one box is, is a linear foot. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to say we have uh, a couple thousand linear feet worth of material. So it's, wow. it's pretty substantial. Okay. So tell me... Um, in the archives themselves, um, I guess, you know, I was doing some research and I saw you have, you know, things about, you know, starting the Smoky um, Mountains National Park. You have a lot of oral history um, recordings and it looks like there was some, you know, like you said, Civil War documents, all different types of things. Um, how does a library go about collecting all of that? You know, what's what's that process? So we are the only university west of Asheville. Um, and so in some ways that makes it easier because we're the only institution that kind of has the capacity to care for things. Um, there are a lot of local historical and genealogical societies that we work pretty closely with, and they're all really wonderful. Um, but we just have um, kind of the facilities and the budget to 
buy some preservation materials. Um, so it's a lot of word of mouth is how we get things. It's not uncommon for um, someone in a family to collect their family's history and then realize that kind of nobody else is going to be interested in it. And so they don't want their hard work or the kind of these valuable um, mementos of the family to just be tossed out. And so then they come to us. Okay. Um, and so, like I said, we collect just Western North Carolina uh, broadly. And so kind of cultural history, environmental, but then also uh, the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians and um, the university's history. Okay. And so the Cherokee Reservation is obviously somewhat close to here as well. So you said um, you do some partnership yeah, and that's well. been one of our largest digital collections. So by and large, um, the EBCI, or the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, mm-hmm. hold their own materials, um, and I don't think it necessarily would be appropriate for us to take those um, and be stewards of those, but we do have a number of digital collections that we've partnered with the Koala Arts and Crafts Mutual and the Museum of the Cherokee Indian. So they have their original documents or carvings, um, basketry, pottery, but we have photographs okay. or scans of the images online, kind of on their behalf. And we do a lot of partnerships that way with small regional institutions. And that's what I found was really interesting is that um, from someone, you know, I'm from Michigan, and just being able to go online. So wherever you are, wherever in the world, you can go online and find all this information. Uh, to be honest, it was a bit overwhelming. There is so much <laughs> to look to look at and to look through. Um, but it's one of those where you start looking, and then you keep going, and you go, you know, down this path, and then another path. Um, so. What kinds of requests have you gotten from, you know, people around the world or I guess some of the examples that maybe you've seen people using the material or learning or mm-hmm. researching? We get a lot of uh, media requests for photographs. Um, there was a magazine that just did an article on a Cherokee artist, Amanda Crow, and so they found photos of her online and, and got permissions to use those. Um, and then we also get a lot of requests for museum exhibits um, to reproduce the photos there. Um, okay, I was going to ask about that, yeah. you know, because it's a digital mm-hmm. um, archive, but so you do... Uh, reproduce and then there's traveling exhibits um yeah we don't ourselves in the library create many exhibits but we work really closely with the mountain heritage center which is kind of the cultural museum on campus okay um so when a donation comes in if there are artifacts like clothing or um kind of other three-dimensional things they'll kind of get that portion of the donation and then we take papers and photographs so we mainly collect 2d things um where we are okay so, um, do you have items, I, I guess, what are some of the oldest items you would have in the collection? Um, probably our Civil War letters. Um, we don't have much that predates that. We have a few okay. things, but kind of late 1800s. So, were these letters, you know, from the soldiers back home? Yeah, so they were um, local residents that were off fighting, riding home, and... Um, mostly talking about, you know, how much they miss their family and talking about food, um, that they wish they could eat and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, tell me about other opportunities that people have, um, to use the materials, um, maybe some of the research that goes on. Yeah. What we work, um, 
obviously with students on campus, um, the history department in particular, um, we always have students coming to do research, and then I have uh, usually an intern every semester that I can task with things. Uh, my favorite is to have them transcribe letters, especially kind of early night. Uh, 20th century cursive because that's something that is a challenge for them and uh, but usually by the end of the semester they've they're really proud of of having that new skill yeah cursive (laughs) (laughs) um but half of our patrons are community members um we do have some scholars that will come from other institutions to to use our things but it's a lot of the local regional community um looking up things about their family or perhaps some property property that they own um one of the things i really love about this region is just how interested and important kind of their local history uh, is to people and so you know we'll get research requests all the time and we are able to do them via email Um, You don't have to come in person. And that's one of the really nice things about the digital collections, as you mentioned, that anyone anywhere can can use them because we can be a difficult place to get to uh, geography-wise. Yes. What I, you know, what led me here was I was researching some things on uh, the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And I think one of the things that most interested me was that, you know, you go to this place, you go, you know, to a park, um, and you have no really idea about the history and the people that lived there. And, you know, s- similar to all in this area, you know, the people that lived in the mountain towns. And, you know, I think one of the things that I wonder about is just the ability to, you know, carry on that information for future generations. And this is, you know, what led me here is that you obviously have, you know, this, you know, large collection to be able to you know educate Mm -hmm. people that may not know so uh, do you partner also do you find um, you were talking about you know people here at the university and some of the regional and and local communities Um, is there any programs like for the kids that are growing you know up and middle school and high school yeah, so um, we have two professors in the history department, uh, Alex McCulley and Libby McRae, and they do an oral history project with students at Smoky Mountain High School. Um, so it's kind of an elective that um, any high school student can, can choose to do, um, and it's pretty similar to the oral history class that um, Alex teaches here at the university. And so they kind of learn best practices and, you know, interviewing people and kind of asking questions that will elicit um, a more lengthy response and yes or no. Um, And so we've gotten, I think, almost 60 oral histories with local residents now. So sometimes there's a theme. Um, This year they did a lot around work and labor to accompany an exhibit that the Mountain Heritage Center brought in. Um, We have a good number of interviews with um, former and current employees of, there's a paper mill in Canton, which is um, the county over, which is a a really large regional employer. Um, And then also from people whose families lived uh, where uh, they were displaced by the Fontana Dam when the lake yes. uh, was filled. And so um, we do some outreach to K-12. through I would like to do more, but, you know, there's always a finite amount of time. Yes. So for someone who is maybe new to understanding, you know, how the whole archival process works, um, can you give me just an overview of, of 
how yeah. that happens and when you get something in, how, how you go about <laughs> yeah. getting it so scanned? Sometimes anything. people will give us um, things that are organized or sorted, um, but most commonly we will get um, a box or a plastic tub um, with haphazardly tossed in uh, all sorts of things. And so one of the things we do is kind of go through everything and see what's appropriate to the collection. You know, we, we um, just can't take everything. And so we, we make sure that it fits in our, our collecting scope. Um, and then if it doesn't come in with any sort of order, we kind of impose one on it. So, you know, all the correspondence will get sorted together. You know, business records will get sorted together, that sort of thing. Um, and then they're housed in archival materials to aid in the preservation um, and at that point, we create what's called a finding aid, and that just simply lists what's in the collection. So box one, folder one, you can expect to find, you know, correspondence from 1900 to 1920, for example. Um, and so that's how we help navigate researchers um, through the collections when they're looking for something. And so we have probably 75% of those finding aids online. Um, some of them are more detailed, some of them are a little more broad, um, but that is kind of the main access point for people to um, get into the collections. For the digital collections, um, we typically don't scan a collection in its entirety, just kind of some of the highlights. And so that's another way. So people find, oh, you've got, you know, a photo of this. And we can say, all right, let's look at the larger collection and see, you know, how it, you know, is contextualized or um, there's usually similar materials in that. What would you like people to, to know, to come away with about um, the archives and just, you know? Yeah. Um, email us, call us, stop by. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are things that you can find online. Um, but one of the things I love about what we do is that um, it's kind of like falling down a rabbit hole sometimes. You know, you maybe found one thing you want, mm -hmm. but you, unless you talk to kind of us who are working with the collections every day and have a good sense of what's there, you might not know that there's like this bit in this unrelated collection that you didn't think to look at, and maybe you could look at it differently and find some information this way. And so we really enjoy working with researchers and, you know, kind of solving those little puzzles. So, you know, absolutely find what you can online and, and use that, but... Um, we're truly here to help and to do research with you. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I think people need to know that and to understand, you know, that you're available, there's resources, and you can learn more yeah. by, you know, stopping in or yeah. emailing or just digging in to the, um, to the electronic copies yeah, up there. Yeah, please do. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your yeah, time absolutely. today. It definitely gave me some insight into... Um, the digital archives and what perhaps I could do to learn more because honestly I want to research further in, yeah. in my spare time. <laughs> <laughs> that abundant resource we all have. <laughs> yes, and this is such a beautiful part of the country. Yeah, so. what I, I really love this region and I really love the way that people value the history and just what a strong sense of place uh, people have about here and so you know my job is really easy in a lot of ways because everyone just has inherent and genuine interest in helping us preserve the history well that is that's really awesome that's a great a great thing to do and um, to enjoy what you do right yeah absolutely and to know that you're preserving things and making a difference and helping future generations um, learn about their past mm -hmm. and and where we all came from absolutely Okay. Well, cool. thanks again. Thank you.
So again, I want to thank Liz for sitting with me, sharing her knowledge and the information about the digital archives that are held at Western Carolina University and the ability for all of us to go out there and to learn more. So you'll find links in my podcast notes, and I hope to see you on the trail. <music>